0: bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas.
1: Welcome to our special 50th Talent Champion episode. I'm Diana Thomas and I'm so honored to serve as your host and to celebrate our milestone, we have a very special guest, Stephen M.R. Covey. Stephen is the best-selling author of The Speed of Trust, and it sold over 2 million copies. Great read. Highly recommend it. He also leads Franklin Covey's Global Speed of Trust practice. He's highly sought after as an international keynote speaker, also consultant. Um, I was so honored to have him do the forward on my book be more strategic in business so just thrilled to have him here today we're going to cover a variety of topics the first one being attracting and retaining talent in this post you know pandemic era creating an inspiring work environment and displaying trust both internally and externally welcome steven i'm so excited that you're here
0: well thank you diana i'm really honored to be here on Talent Champions podcast, but also especially to be with you. And it was an honor to write the forward for your book because I think it's terrific. And so to have this chance to be together today is really tremendous. So thank you for this opportunity.
1: Oh, you are so welcome. But before we get deeper into today's topic, I thought maybe we could start with, you could share a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today.
0: Wonderful. I'm Stephen M. R. Covey, the son of Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I ran the, the, the Covey Leadership Center. We did the merger with Franklin West, I born Franklin Covey. And I initially I kind of found my voice on the business side of things, running things. But then after we did the merger, I began to find a new voice. And that was around uh, this idea of trust. And so I kind of carved my own path, similar to what my father had done, building on the ideas of the seven habits, but kind of going really deep and into practical application around the idea of trust. And I wrote the book, The Speed of Trust. And since that time, I've been uh, presenting this all around the world uh, with leaders of organizations of every, every stripe and helping them build high-trust teams, high-trust cultures as a better way of, of competing, but also as a better way of leading. In today's world. And it was timely when I first covered, you know, published this book about 15 years ago. But it's even more relevant today because of all that's going on in our world and, and how, how we need more trust in a low trust world and how to how to build it intentionally. And so that's a little bit about me, my life's work is around uh, helping people build high-trust relationships, high-trust teams, high-trust cultures.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I tell you, I had a chance to reread the book. I might have been one of your first people you know, that read the book. I couldn't wait to get it. And- there's a self-assessment in there. I'm happy to say I redid it, and what, 16 years later, 15 years later, I actually scored higher. So you know, I've made improvement. Maybe it's age and you get wiser, but uh, you know. It, <laughs> Way to go,
0: Diana. It, yeah.
1: But the thing that I really love about your book and just interacting with you is you are so practical. And like you said, there's so much going on in the world. And to me, this really does extend the seven habits. But to me, this is like the guidebook for today's leaders. So I really like how applicable, and I know our audience, I hear back from them all the time, like practical advice. So again, if you haven't read this book, pick it up. It's still very, very relevant today. It's kind of a crazy world out there. We're starting to have this talent war again people are turning over at unprecedented rates i think what was it in april it was 4 million people left their jobs and you know satisfaction rates are low as far as people are indicating they want to move people moving is is showing us that the economy is doing well but it is starting to create this panic in organizations for talent maybe you could just share some of your advice because I do see you as kind of a coach this is a coaching session <laughs> for our talent champions you know we're honored to have you is Why do you believe that this is occurring right now as far as turnover being up and just this unsatisfied um, kind of feeling with employees and they're acting on it now?
0: I just read a a report that showed the Microsoft Work Trend Index showed that up to 40% of people are looking to change their job today. This war for talent has never been more relevant than it is today, right now, and many factors behind it um, as, you know, with all the forces of change that are upon us with, with how the world has changed with technology and how uh, work itself has changed, it's more collaborative, interdependent, more service-based, more knowledge work, how the work uh, place has changed, where the work is done, Today, you can work from home. You can work from anywhere, hybrid work. You know, The whole pandemic has changed our whole mindset on the workplace and, and the possibilities. Uh, the, the nature of the workforce itself is also changing the workforce. We have so many generations that are in our workforce, as many as five today, and, and, and the need for greater diversity and inclusion never been higher, and that's, that's critical to compete today. And, and then finally, I think what's really driving this is that the nature of choice itself has changed. We've gone from what we might call you know, multiple choice to infinite choice. There's just so many possibilities for people. Where as, as people are looking at their situation, and when I say post-pandemic, we're still in the middle of this pandemic in many respects, and we're in different places in the world, but people are kind of stepping back and saying you know what is what do i like about my work and what do i value and what's important to me and i have options i have choices now that maybe i don't feel like i had before and now there's so many more possibilities because the workplace is changing and and suddenly there's really a war for this talent and and um and so i think this is one of the the epic imperatives of our time is this this war for talent and the need as talent champions to to create a high-trust culture because a high-trust culture will enable us to attract, retain, engage, and inspire the best people. People don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. And when people feel trusted and inspired, they'll tend to stay. When they don't feel trusted and inspired, they'll go find a place where they are. And today, there's a lot more choices and options to find those places. And so, it's a real kind of premium being placed upon talent champions and line leaders today all around, how do we build the kind of culture, a high-trust culture that enables us to attract and inspire the best people? And trust is central to that because When you trust people, you give them flexibility, including in work options and workplaces. When you trust people, you're saying, I'm not trying to dictate your methods of how you do it. I trust you to be able to deliver results and get the outcomes that we're seeking together. And people respond to that. And they rise to the occasion. They perform better. And they give the trust back to you. And you create this virtuous upward spiral versus kind of a distrusting approach where I'm hovering over. Maybe now I'm micromanaging from a distance. And 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 some companies have even put in place, quote, productivity software, but it looks like surveillance and feels like surveillance to their people. And, and they don't feel trusted. And when you don't feel trusted, when you have a lot of choices and options, they'll go find a place where you where you do feel trusted. So there's a lot of factors. I don't mean to oversimplify, but I think central to it is just this building this great culture that attracts, retains, engages, and inspires the best people. And it's not enough just to engage them. We need to inspire them. And that's that's the next level of engagement that's needed today that will help help us keep the best people.
1: Yeah. One of the things I love about your book and your approach, and your father did the same thing, is you do a lot of research. And what I love is that you're researching successful companies and then putting that information together and sharing it with us so us as the practitioners don't have to go do all this benchmarking. You've kind of done it for us. So I know one of the things you're doing is working with these companies that are already successful at creating this great culture and creating this strong t- Uh, trust environment. So maybe you could start to share and boil down a few things for our audience if they want to go back and start creating a better environment using the principles of trust. Where do they start? What do they do?
0: The best way to start and the best place to start is for each of us as leaders to look in the mirror and start with ourselves and ask the question, you know do I trust myself? Do I give to my team a leader who they can trust? In other words, is it smart to trust me and then ripple out from there? So I use the metaphor of the ripple effect where the drop of water comes down, the ripples, the waves, they start at the inside and they ripple out. And too often when it comes to trust, most people kind of point the finger and say, well, as soon as he changes or she changes or they change, as soon as You know, we don't have all these compliance issues placed upon us. As soon as the environment does all these things, then we can build more trust. The problem with that is that that's outside in thinking. And we need inside out thinking, which is always saying, what can I do in my circle of influence to model the kind of trust that we're seeking and to be trusting in that way with those that I work with and to ripple out from there? So I'm a model first and then a mentor. And here's the main learning in the long run, We'll never have and sustain more trust externally with customers and partners in the marketplace. We'll never have more external trust than we have internal trust. Think about it. It's incongruent to ask people who you don't trust to go out and build trust with customers. But it's very natural and abundant to ask people who you trust to now go build trust with customers so inside out build the trust in yourself on your team in your relationships on your team in your organization and then ripple it out into the marketplace and the best organizations are always working from the inside out and they're building that internal trust in order to have external trust you're trying to win in the workplace so that you can win in the marketplace and it's it's really a, a mistake to think you can kind of skip that first step and just go to the marketplace trust, build trust with customers if inside there's toxic distrust. So we've got to go inside out. And the key to that is for each leader to look in the mirror and start with themselves and and, uh, build that self-trust, which leads to the relationship trust, which leads to the team trust, which leads to the organizational trust, which leads to the marketplace and societal trust inside out. Yeah.
1: I love that. And one of the things that I see as I'm coaching leaders that are trying to do that is you have to make sure that you do an honest assessment. And And you have this quote. I've used it several times. And every time I see it, I smile. You say, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behaviors, right? Mm. And so we right. think sometimes that we're doing things that are trustworthy and we're credible in all of the components. You talk about four components. But it doesn't always translate to others. And so, one of the things I coach my leaders to do is to get feedback on how they're coming across. You know, don't comment, just thank them for the feedback. And I think that helps with getting that true reflection of what's coming out, you know, looking in the mirror. I think I'm doing these things, and then I talk to my husband, he's like, nah, that's not how I'm seeing it, you know?
0: Absolutely. You're right on with this, Diana. This is again part of that inside out process because we think we're doing well, but others may not see it the same way. When we roll up 15 years of data on this, when we work with executive teams and leadership teams, management teams, and then we ask people on the team, how credible am I as a leader? And we get these really high marks. And then we ask people to rate, how credible is everybody else on the team? And there's really low marks, you know, 20, 30, sometimes 40, 50 point gaps between the two. And yet the people measuring everybody else are the same people that measure themselves really high. And so we've got to kind of become aware of these gaps and close the gaps. And we do it by focusing on our credibility and our on our behavior. Credibility and behavior are the two building blocks for creating trust from the inside out. The whole idea that we look in the mirror, start with ourselves. What do we do? We focus on increasing our credibility and we and behaving in ways that build trust. And we need to become aware of how we're coming across, how we're showing up, how it's being manifest, because we might think we're doing pretty good. We might think we're pretty trusting and say, Yeah, I'm pretty trusting. I expend a lot of trust, and yet. If you were to ask our people, maybe our direct reports or maybe colleagues or peers, they might say, you're not quite as trusting as you think you are, and and you're really kind of sometimes maybe distrusting or it feels like distrust or micromanagement, even though I might think I am. So we've got to become aware, self-aware, and you can do that a variety of ways, including through instruments and tools, but also just kind of asking the question and and, and becoming better about intent. You know, which was the quote you you shared. If, if you can really get good at declaring your intent as a leader, so where you not only give the what, but you also give the why. Always give the why. Be open, be transparent, declare your intent. You don't have a hidden agenda, you have an open agenda. You're transparent. There's nothing to hide. What that does is people interpret you differently. They literally, it gives them a pair of glasses through which to interpret your behavior. When you don't declare your intent, when you don't do it, people ascribe intent to you anyways, from their own perspective. And at best, they're guessing. And at worst, they're projecting fears or worst case scenarios. So one of the best things you can do, most practical things you can do to kind of change how you're perceived and get credit for the real behavior you're demonstrating to build trust, declare your intent. And declare yourself even behind that, and people will see you differently, and you'll close those gaps that often get in the way. Yeah.
1: now I love that advice. That's why you defined uh, trust, and there's different components, whether, you know, I'm not competent. Is that why you don't trust me? Do you feel like I have a hidden agenda? I worked with one leader, and people weren't trusting him, but it wasn't something that he was doing. It was who hired him. So, it was something that was outside of his control, but when people told him, he could address it. You know, they thought he was a friend of this person that was maybe not as highly respected. So, I think it's really important to have that conversation because it could be something simple, but it could be that simple thing getting in the way of not allowing you to have the best environment to work in.
0: That's a really interesting comment. I, I talk about how low trust is a tax. Everything takes you longer. Everything costs you more. Whereas high trust is a dividend. You move faster, less cost. The example you just gave where someone had less trust, not because of what they had done, but because they'd been hired by someone that wasn't trusted. I call that an inheritance tax. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. You certainly certainly inherited it. Mm -hmm. So to become aware of that and to take steps to compensate for that and demonstrating your own credibility – your own objectivity, your own intent, seeking Mm -hmm. mutual benefit, win-win, and not being a puppet of somebody else or not being the extension of somebody else that hired you, but rather of who you are, becoming aware of that so you can build your own credibility and build that trust and relationships is critical. We need to become aware of where there's low trust taxes and take steps to compensate for it and to try to turn those taxes into dividends where we can move faster with less cost.
1: I love that. So I'm sure our audience is saying, okay, this is what I need to do. And they bought in and, the challenges, you know, sometimes our burning fires, those crises things, those quadrant one things, are right in our face, and we can't get yep. to some of those, you know, building trust, building uh, relationships, uh, improving leadership. It takes a little bit longer. Uh, I know one of your concepts is if you can do it, you can increase speed, you can increase results, and we'll get into some results, comments, or questions. But one of the things that I'm hearing from my leaders that I'm interacting with and our audience members is, gosh, what do I do tomorrow? I mean, we're we're having these people walk out the door. Do you have any advice as far as maybe some stopgap actions that they could be doing right now to maybe capture some of those employees that are dissatisfied, that might be leaving tomorrow, anything that they could do today to maybe stop it
0: or slow it down? Really slow it down. Yes. Well, there's no quick fix per se, but there are some things you can do to have a quick impact, especially if it's sustained and, and authentic and real. Um, but here's a couple of them. And you know one I've already mentioned, be explicit about declaring your intent. Because when people understand the why, it gives context to everything else. And if you're embarrassed to declare your intent because it's too self-serving, then bring more mutual benefit into it and bring more caring into it so that people feel like you care. When people feel that you care about them, they tend to trust you. If they don't feel like you care, they, they tend to not trust you. So you can really focus on caring as a quick thing. Now, obviously, if you don't care, then examine your own motive. And bring more caring into it because mutual benefit, win-win, is the only solution in an interdependent world. And so, um, but oftentimes you do care and people don't experience it that way. So do a better job at showing people that you care, demonstrating that you care, and creating a sense of belonging, of inclusion, because that will go a long way. You connect with people through caring and belonging. And so that's all around your intent. And I'll give you a second one. Is not only be trustworthy. I call that credibility. Be trusting as a leader. Think about this. You could have two trustworthy people working together, and they're both trustworthy, and yet have no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy. If Neither person extends trust to the other. So not only do you have to be trustworthy, we need to be trusting. And that's something you can do as a leader. Lead out in extending trust to your people. Find the ways, the appropriate ways that you can be trusting and not distrusting. And, and um, you got to be smart about it. I'm not asking you to blindly trust anyone and everyone. You know, I call it smart trust, always with clear expectations, and an agreed upon process for accountability. But if you if you have that mindset of whenever I extend trust, I have expectations and accountability that we create together, we create an agreement together, if you will, you can be far more trusting than you might've thought. And when people feel trusted, they're inspired and, they, and, and they're far more apt to stay. They'll perform better. It'll be more energizing, more fun, more joyful, and less burnout, less stress. And that's something you can begin to immediately change and, and challenge yourself of how trusting you're being, how trusting your company's being, and be, find the ways to lead out and extending trust to your people. And We're seeing a lot of that right now with people working from home, working from anywhere, where you really have a chance to say, you know what? I trust you. Let's create the agreement together and what we're trying to do, and I trust you. I'm not dictating the methods. We're focusing on the desired results You be accountable to me against these results in this way. I'm not going to hover over a micromanage. And when people feel that, sense that, experience that, they say, wow, this is great. I like this. At first, they might if if that has not been the pattern, they might be a little skeptical at first. But if you stay consistent, stay at this, that's a fast way to begin to change um, how people feel. And, And the data from the Great Place to Work Institute shows this this is with millennials, that in a high-trust culture, you have a 22 times greater probability of retaining millennials than you do in a low-trust culture. And it's, it's nearly similar to the other generations, too. Because you know what? Millennials, and for that matter, every generation, want everyone wants to be trusted. They want to be inspired. They want to be led, not managed. And that will change how they feel and how they work, and the odds of keeping them go up dramatically. Yeah.
1: And and when you were talking, one of the things that I remembered reading about your book and also experiencing, because I was on the uh, practitioner side leading learning and development for McDonald's Corporation, is how you, as the CEO, had to kind of stop and create some trust with the merger. You guys had to work through some things. Now, from an outsider's perspective, it was probably one of the smoothest mergers because it was just like flawless and and overnight people could talk about both products and everything. But you talked about having this dialogue where you thought you were feeling that trust wasn't there. And you, instead of going in with, I'm going to try to move the, all this stuff forward, you just kind of stopped and you, you connected with people. And I think that's what sometimes pe- leaders have to do. You may have your agenda and what you need to do, but if it's not feeling right, you got to stop and just have that conversation.
0: Absolutely, Diana. That's exactly what happened. I mean, we'd been these arch competitors you know, two great companies, Kelly Leadership Center, friendly Quest, the arts competitors competing in time management and other things. And now we're combined and and uh, we had good people, good values, all these things, but we had just a whole different way of viewing the world mm-hmm. as, as arts competitors. And so there was kind of a, a distrust in there, not because we'd done bad things to each other, but because we came from different worlds. Mm-hmm. And rather than acting like there was no issue moving forward, we sensed that there was this distrust because people were kind of questioning the agenda, the motives, is this a Franklin thing or is this a Covey thing? And we wanted to be Franklin Covey, not you know Franklin or Covey. And, and we had to kind of address this and confront it. And, and I remember just thinking, rather than just kind of trying to move forward and not addressing the elephant in the room, it took more courage to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be vulnerable. And, and talk straight and really listen, what do we need to do to build a greater degree of trust among ourselves so that we can do everything else better? And when we went slow up front by taking the time to do this, listening first, um, clarifying expectations, being transparent, making commitments, and then keeping those commitments, talking straight about all of this, we went slow, and then we can move fast afterwards. So, you know, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. And once we built that trust, then we could do everything better. And then we just kind of sensed, everyone could kind of sense we're not where we need to be. And I just didn't want to skirt it and evade it. I wanted to take it head on. And, and I was, it was an act of vulnerability. But as Brene Brown says, being vulnerable helps you build the trust. And then people tend to reciprocate back. And they saw that there's nothing sinister going on. We're just trying to build a relationship of trust and do the right thing by the client and by each other. And once we got that in place, we could do everything else better. So um, it was really a good example of taking our own medicine, if you will, applying these principles to ourselves, because in mergers, trust tends to be the first casualty of most mergers. And we wanted to become deliberate and intentional about building a high trust team and high trust culture. And once we got that, everything else went, you know, much, much better.
1: Yeah, no. So I think, you know, for our leaders that are listening and our talent champions that are coaching the leaders is, you know, what you said is extending trust, showing people that you care about them. So if you're worried that people might leave, start talking to them, you know, let's do the right thing. So great, great advice and still very applicable today. Absolutely. Yeah. So we started to talk about just everything that's going on today. And in many cases, there is a low trust culture in the world. You know, I was yes. reflecting back and I was looking at the survey even in t- in 2005 I think you showed, you know, that we were at some low trust levels. I hate to see what they are today and you're probably more aware of them, you know, as far as trust with government and, you know, political parties and uh, just large corporations and, you know, what kind of made me sad is employees not trusting senior leaders, you know, and so I know studies are still showing that there isn't a high level sometimes. The example you used is you were a high leader and you decided that you were going to go with your employees and your new employees and just talk to them. So I mean, when you can't do that, you've got to find ways virtually or whatever. But when I look at what's going on in the world today, it kind of worries me as far as there's, you know, how do we trust each other? And there's so much disinformation out there, whether it's, conflicting information and this whole concept of fake news and conspiracy theories and just you know you wonder when you hear things is that true now instead of you know gosh trusting the news or trusting people who would tell you things and you know where people get you know they say they get it off the internet well is that news internet is it Facebook internet so with so much of that going on how do you counsel people to just kind of navigate all this disinformation
0: Right, right. Let me kind of stand back for just a second and say, what you've described, Diana, is so critical because we're operating increasingly in a low trust world and where the trust is going down in most of our institutions, and in some cases, never been lower than it is today, with perhaps a few exceptions in different pockets and the like, but it's really generally going down. The danger of a low trust world is that it tends to perpetuate itself. People become a little bit more careful, cautious, guarded, because none of us want to get burned. And then people respond back a little bit more careful, cautious, guarded. And we can find ourselves perpetuating a vicious downward cycle of distrust and suspicion, creating more distrust and suspicion, and everybody feeling justified in the process. Distrust is contagious. But thankfully, the converse can be equally true, where trust and confidence can create more trust and confidence, and it can become a virtuous upward spiral. It's harder to work that direction, whereas the vicious downward cycle kind of is thrust upon us. So I want all of our listeners and our leaders, whether you're a talent leader or a line leader, whatever your role of responsibility is, to start to become intentional and deliberate about building this trust. And and how do you counteract kind of a low trust world and when you're not sure what's real and what's not? That's why I say always start with credibility. Credibility is the foundation. So work on your own credibility. But as you work, as you look at others or look at information, like look at credibility and the character, the competence. You know, so you're looking at the integrity and the intent that flows out of your character, the capabilities and the results that flow out of your your competence. And too often, in a low trust world, people tend to kind of gravitate to what they want to hear to what aligns with their belief system and the like. And they kind of almost even skip the step of asking what's the source here and how credible is the source? And we kind of need to get back a little bit to the idea of credibility being foundational for all of us. So this is, you know, everyone to focus on credibility as a means of building more trust and counteracting that. And I'm just trying to be practical and saying, it's hard to do this writ large in society. So what I can do is do it writ large for myself and my relationships and my team and begin to ripple out from there inside my organization. And that's the starting point, credibility. You know, trusting yourself, giving to others a person that can be trusted because of your character and your competence, that what you say can be trusted. And when you start there, then you're counteracting that. And we need enough people doing that. We need to get a critical mass to counteract everything that's around us in society. I believe we can do it. I don't think it's easy, but it becomes easier when you think, I'll work within my circle of influence, and maybe I can't influence all of society, but I can learn that I can become credible. And and um, be that kind of person, leader, a model to others that can become a mentor and ripple out from there. And we'll build enough trust here, and then we'll see what we can do as we move out outside of ourselves. So this does impact us, this low trust world. And the best way to counteract it again is just to do it from the inside out by looking in the mirror.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice for everyone. Um, you know, we starts with us, and we can impact the world, kind of like your ripple effect. You know, and, and absolutely. Do that. Great. Right. Well, kind of building on that, you know, the the world is a little different for leaders today than maybe when we've started, you know, working the transparency, you know, that employees have with future employees. So you think about like Glassdoor and LinkedIn, where they can talk and right. even rate their CEOs' performance. You've got all of this uh, transparency. With employees, and again, you have to find out what the source is and make sure that, you know, you're looking at it from different perspectives and and there's Mm -hmm. always two sides. Leaders are trying to work virtually, which is hard to connect sometimes to their employees. Do you have some suggestions on how to build trust in this digital environment when we're kind of removed from each other, yes, simultaneously, you know, we're on a public stage because everything is accessible for future employees and current employees. Do you have any advice?
0: Yes. It's kind of simultaneously, we're the most transparent we've ever been. And yet we're in a situation where perhaps we're not as transparent because we're not proximate. Right. And so we've got to take steps to counteract that. These virtual environment environments and work from home, work from anywhere or hybrid and all the different scenarios but also on site, the, the whole idea of saying that we're going to be intentional and deliberate about this. When you're in a virtual team, the degree of difficulty of the dive, to use the Olympic you know, mm-hmm. diving metaphor, not all dives are created equal. Some are more difficult than others. The degree of difficulty of the dive is higher mm-hmm. in a virtual setting or in a hybrid setting. And you'll be have to become more deliberate, more explicit, more intentional about what you're doing and why. You need to declare your intent more explicitly. You need to declare yourself more explicitly. But also, you need to focus on, on extending trust deliberately, clarifying expectations, and ag- agreeing to a mutual process of accountability so people feel trusted around an agreement you set up together and not that you're going to come over and hover over and micromanage them from a distance. Mm -hmm. And, and so you can build it, but you have to, but you can't just assume it. You can't take it for granted. When you don't have the advantages of the proximity and being kind of together, um, there's some advantages to that. Um, So you, you take steps to compensate for that. And you're more deliberate, more intentional around some of the behaviors that help you build trust Uh, declaring your intent, Extending trust, clarifying expectations, practicing accountability, listening first. So it's the same principles. It's just there's a far greater premium and value on the explicit demonstration of the behaviors. And so just become more deliberate about it, more intentional about it. The very things that you would do to build trust face-to-face. You can't just assume it'll be seen and interpreted in a virtual setting. You got to tell them what you're doing and why you're doing it.
1: Yeah. And you reference behaviors i want to bring this to the attention of our audience if our listeners go to our website they can download a printable list of the 13 behaviors of high trust that steven's been discussing and he outlines in his book these are very specific things and as i'm looking through them i'm thinking not only can i do these in person but i can also practice these behaviors in a virtual world So visit our website, talent-champions.com, find episode 50 and download a copy to save as a reference for yourself.
0: You're exactly right, Diana. Is just like you can behave your way out of trust and lose it. You can also behave your way into trust and gain it and grow it. What if you've lost trust? Can you restore it? I believe in most cases you can, but here's the key principle. You can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. So, words alone won't get it back. They're necessary, but insufficient. You got to behave your way back into trust, just like you behave your way out of it. And the whole idea that trust is learnable as a skill, as a competency, how? Through our credibility. And through our behavior, and those 13 behaviors are just practical, tangible, actionable things each of us can do as leaders and help our team do. Talk straight. Demonstrate respect. Create transparency. Right, wrong. Show loyalty. These are just straightforward things. Get better. Um, uh, Deliver results. Confront reality. Clarify expectations. Practice accountability. Again, straightforward. They're common sense. They're just not common practice. So our whole goal as leaders is to make common practice of these common sense behaviors and to put them into action and become good at this. You know, how do you talk straight in a culture of spin? That's the key. That's the test. You know, how do you extend trust in a micromanagement culture? And, you know, how do you be transparent in a culture of hidden agendas? But someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. And so you can be the one that leads out in behaving your way into greater trust and helping your team do the same and rippling out from there. And so it, it, the idea behind the behaviors is that trust is learnable. These behaviors are learnable. We can get good at these. We can get skilled at these individually and collectively as a team, as a culture. And when you do that, you will move the needle on trust. It will go up. And when the trust goes up, then that is like a rising tide. It lifts every boat. Everything else you're trying to do, you can do better when you start with trust. Absolutely, beautifully said, and I did forget the last three. Listen first, keep commandments, <laughs> extend trust. And now I've given you the thirteen.
1: All right, you just got your ten. <laughs> All right, so let's switch a little bit to leadership because it's so important to be a trusting yeah. leader. And our talent champions are charged with creating the pipeline for their organizations, particularly to make sure that they've got that next generation of leaders with the skills and, as you said, the credibility, the credentials that are needed. What are you coaching or what advice do you have to help these organizations and our leaders here differentiate their organization to future generations of work so that they are more attractive?
0: Absolutely. It's kind of back to that first epic imperative of our time, building the culture, a high-trust culture, an inspired culture, an inspiring culture, so that people are drawn to it. It's different in kind than other cultures. There's more energy. There's more joy. The the neuroscience on this is overwhelming, Diana. It shows that high-trust workplaces are 106% more energized than low trust workplaces. This is from Paul Zach, neuroscientist, um, on the neuroscience of trust, 106% more energized, 76% more engaged in a high trust culture than a low trust culture, 72% less stress, and 40% less burnout. Think of what's hitting us today, a lot of stress, a lot of burnout, and the high trust, I, I like to say it brings energy and joy. It's energizing, it's fun. Low trust, it's exhausting. It's no fun. I'll go, you know, I, I don't want to be there. I'm going to go find someplace else to be. So you want to differentiate on the basis of culture, a high trust culture. I call it trust and inspire so that we are attracting the best people and inspiring them. People don't want to be motivated. They want to be inspired. People don't want to be managed. They want to be led. These are the things that you do. You want to differentiate on this basis. Then the second way that you'll differentiate is that you also build a culture of great collaboration and innovation, and and so the collaboration come again comes about from trust, and because it's hard to collaborate without trust. Um, without trust, you just coordinate or at best cooperate, but it is trust that turns mere coordination into true collaboration, creative, innovative, and you can innovate better in a high trust team, high trust culture because people will be willing to take a risk, even make a mistake when there's high trust. And, and you can't innovate if you're not willing to take a risk and make a mistake and even fail You know, within a construct and fail fast, fail forward, fail often, but learn faster. And you do that again in a high trust culture. And, and also, I will say this, that it is trust that turns our differences into our strengths. And that's vital in a in a time where we're really focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, foundational to that is trust because differences are our strengths when people trust each other. Differences are sometimes viewed suspiciously, and in some cases, possibly even divisively when people don't trust each other. So Again, trust is the agent that enables us to really run with our differences as the greatest source of our, our of our creativity, our innovation. And, and we can differentiate ourselves on that so that we win in the workplace and win in the marketplace. So there's more than just trust, of course. I'm just saying foundational to the best workplaces that are also the most collaborative and innovative is trust. And you see very rare, if any, exceptions to that, that you can sustain over time. And and it will be a real differentiator because you'll have far more energy and joy. People will be drawn to you and you'll truly be a better place to work. People will be drawn to it and and you'll win with your people and you'll win with your customers.
1: Okay. So that might've been the best answer ever. And for our listeners, if you go back and you break that down... To me, the companies that are going to win in the future, we know they're winning today, are going to be the ones that are doing exactly what you said. And then we're not going to have these issues with people leaving. We're not going to have issues, you know, that people don't feel like they've been treated fairly, you know, whatever level. So I just think what you said was so inspiring. And we'll make sure that we break that down in our notes that go out to our audience members. But wow. That was that. That's what the world needs. So thank you. Thank you for sharing it. So absolutely. Yeah. So what resources do you recommend that our listeners who want to go deeper into some of these topics, where should they go? What should they be looking at?
0: Yes, of course, the Speed of Trust book, as you've mentioned, is a great resource. But go to our website, speedoftrust.com. SpeedToTrust.com, there's different, there's some videos, there's some tools, some applications, some things you can do and apply. And you can also kind of connect with the Franklin Covey team mm-hmm. if you want to go deeper into the learning or bring it to your clients or bring it to other organizations that you're working with to, to help help them build high trust teams and cultures. Um, and that's where we have a lot of tools and, and, and processes and, and the like to really make this practical and actionable because our main insight is that trust is a learnable skill. Yeah. And so we're trying to give people the tools. So speedoftrust.com is a great place. And you can always connect with a, a Franklin Covey client partner to help you go deeper inside of your organization, inside of your team, and apply a whole variety of other tools, you know, from assessments and measurements and, and other things and processes you know what we call trust huddles and and trust talks all kinds of ways to really operationalize speed of trust
1: yeah and and i love that i mean i we've had some wonderful leaders on and we've got some additional leaders coming in the future and one of the things i love is you guys are so willing to give away your advice too and help others grow. So there are free tools. You've been on a variety of stages and and different podcasts. They're available if you want to listen. So you know if you're intrigued to audience, go deeper and the materials are out there, you know, whatever your budget is. And if you have no budget, you can still find stuff and and there's help out there for you. So So I'd love to ask all of my guests this question is, is there one person from your past who's had the greatest influence on you? And maybe you wouldn't be where you are today without that person's influence.
0: There there are many, but the one I'll highlight is my father, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits. And, And I'll tell you why. It's because he trusted me he saw in me potential that I didn't even see in myself. He believed in me more than I believed in myself. And that inspired me. And it began as young as seven years old with his story and the seven habits of green and clean.
1: Yeah, I love, I have to say, I (laughs) loved reading your side of it in the book because it's (laughs) ingrained in my mind, you know, listening to your father say it in the videos that are out there. So it was wonderful to hear
0: it from your perspective. Absolutely. And for me, that was a trust story Mm -hmm. where my father trusted me. You know, I was too young to understand what a win-win performance agreement meant, but I did know this. I felt trusted by my father that he trusted me to take care of the yard, the lawn. That's the whole idea of green and clean. And it's, you know, he he gave me the responsibility and I rose to the occasion. a took me a minute to figure it out, but then I rose to the occasion and I, and, and um, I was inspired by it. It brought out the best in me. So I saw it from my youngest days. I had a trusted inspire leader in my life and my father, but then I saw it throughout my life in different times when, when I just felt like uh, he believed in me and had confidence in me. And and he and really helped unleash the greatness inside of me. And, and that helped me realize that there is such a power to this yeah. and I want to do the same for others, like my father did for me, and and uh, that and and be that kind of person, that kind of leader for other people. So I, I feel a great sense of stewardship and responsibility to pay back and to pay it forward what I've been given. I recognize that, that I've been blessed and fortunate to have that kind of a, a model in my life that also was a a mentor and a father in this case for me. What I learned from that is that. Is you know just the power of trusting and of being trusted, what it does to people, yeah. how it brings out the very best in all of us, and how that's what really what's needed today in a low trust world. We've got to counteract this and change it. You know, there's so much going on around us, and and um and we need to counteract the distrust around us and bring about a renaissance of trust. And while it takes two or more people to have trust. It only takes one to start and each of us can be that one.
1: Beautifully said. And I know he would be so proud of you because you are carrying on his legacy, building your own legacy, and really, you know, giving people so many practical ways that they can do things and and being vulnerable and sharing your story. You know, when you shared that, you know, you felt trusted. To me, that goes back to that employee. And you you can't lead if people aren't following you and you're not inspiring them. So fabulous, fabulous information. Thank you. So, as, as we get ready to wrap up, what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? You've given so much already.
0: Right. Well, just because of these two epic imperatives, the need to win in the workplace, win in the marketplace, we need to lead in a different way. Mm-hmm. We can't kind of do it like we've done it in the past. We're kind of a command and control. And what's happened is we've become more enlightened about it, more sophisticated, a little bit better. We brought emotional intelligence into it and mission into it and, and strengths. And all those are good things, but our paradigm might be still too much around to trying to control people, contain people versus truly inspiring them and unleashing them and unleashing the talent and the potential inside of them. What we're moving from is command and control, and maybe it's an enlightened command and control, Mm -hmm. but what we're moving toward, I call trust and inspire. Is the kind of leadership that's needed today, where you lead out, you model, you trust, and you inspire. And what that does to people and how they, they rise to the occasion they perform better, how it makes them feel, how they develop their capabilities, how that draws them to you and to your organization, and how they, you can then win in the workplace and win in the marketplace and stay relevant in this changing world. So we need a new way to lead in a new world. Trust and inspire is a better way to do, to lead and to operate. And it's better for everybody and not just perpetuating and getting incrementally better in a flawed paradigm. We need a new paradigm, trust and inspire of seeing the greatness inside of people and unleashing it in a new world.
1: I love that. So you mentioned your website and we showed everybody and we've been talking a little bit about the content in the book. Is there any other way that our audience could connect with you? I know you're on LinkedIn. Could they reach out yeah. through LinkedIn?
0: Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, Stephen M. R. Covey, and then also uh, on Twitter. We can engage and, and love to serve you and, and, and help uh, build high trust teams, high trust cultures, and to help together collectively to bring about a renaissance of trust in our world.
1: Thank you so, so
0: much. love to connect.
1: Yeah, this has been awesome. Um, you are so inspiring. I feel so energized and so much joy. I'm, I'm ready to go and, and, and try to impact the world at a higher level. So thank you so much, your generosity and your time for sharing your expertise and your passion. So really
0: appreciate it. You are welcome, Diana. It's a real honor to be with you and this great uh, podcast, Talent Champions. And what you're doing the influence you're having on people and on leaders everywhere so i admire you and i and I, I really am grateful to have this chance to connect with you and with our listeners thank you
1: thank you here's a summary of today's episode steven's life work is in trust how to build it how it benefits us and what to do when you need to repair it in the time we're living through today there are a few things that i can think of that are more fundamental to everything than trust His book, The Speed of Trust, is a guidebook for today's leaders. A variety of factors have come together to drive record levels of talent turnover, and companies are really feeling the squeeze when trying to recruit and retain workers. A high-trust culture is essential, not just to attracting talent, but also inspiring people to stick around. In a high-trust culture, The leader trusts the team to deliver the results and pursue the outcomes the organization is seeking. It's less about telling people where and how to do the work and more about giving them the opportunity to rise to the occasion. The best organizations work on trust from the inside out. It starts with the individual leader modeling trusting and trustworthy behaviors and extends out to the internal culture of trust that translates into building trust with customers. Be transparent by sharing your agenda. If people understand the reasons behind your behavior, they'll interpret you through the lens you've provided. When you appear to have a hidden agenda, they're still going to ascribe the intent to you, but it's probably not the intent you wish to communicate. By declaring your intent, you teach people to see you differently. When people feel that you care about them, they're more likely to trust you. It's important to do this all of the time, but it can be particularly powerful if you're in a crisis situation and you need to make a quick and deliberate move. Ensure that you genuinely care and also that people experience that feeling. We're operating in a low-trust world where everyone is becoming increasingly cautious because they're afraid of being burned. We have the opportunity to turn this culture around, and it starts with each individual. Be deliberate about building trust with the people within your circle of influence, using credibility as the foundation. Work on your own credibility and allow that to radiate outward. The nature of our digital world is that organizations are forced to be more transparent than ever before. Yet we're less transparent to each other because we're working on remote teams. It's critical to work on trust and you need to be even more intentional about doing so. Be deliberate about clarifying expectations and agreeing to mutual processes of accountability. In a culture of mutual trust, our differences become our strengths. As we focus on diversity and inclusions in organizations, the companies that will win in the future are those that leverage diversity as the source of creativity and innovation. Don't forget to visit our website, talent-champions.com to download your copy of Stephen's 13 Behaviors of High Trust. You'll find it on the episode 50 page, along with other links that we shared from this episode.
0: Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider.